0: Howdy, Rob Lee here, and we're going to get back to the truth in this art. But I want to do a little exercise with you. As you know, the truth in this art is an audio experience, so I'm going to ask you to do something a little different this time and visualize with me. I'm thrilled to reintroduce you to Forged Eatery, a true gem that captures the essence of farm to table dining in Baltimore. At Forged Eatery, they have mastered the art of sourcing local and seasonal ingredients, resulting in a menu that will leave you in awe. Their commitment to quality and to flavor is simply unmatched. Picture yourself, see, it's the visual, picture yourself uh, savoring their mushroom stew, a comforting and aromatic dish that transports you to a world of culinary bliss. The depths of flavor and the carefully selected ingredients will tantalize your taste buds. You can swap out and insert the focaccia, which is heavenly, or the irresistible cornmeal fried happy oysters. Each bite is a celebration of culinary mastery. Forged Eatery goes beyond being simply a restaurant. It's an immersive experience where the menu evolves with the seasons. Each visit promises a new and exciting experience for your taste buds, making every moment unforgettable. So fellow food fans, fellow food lovers, it's time to discover the magic of Forged Eatery. Let their innovative approach to dining and their passion for locally sourced ingredients transport you to a world of culinary excellence. Don't miss out on an extraordinary dining experience. Plan your visit to Forged Eatery today and let your taste buds revel in the true flavors of the season. It's time to indulge in a gastronomic adventure that will leave you craving for more. For more information, visit ForgedEatery.com. Only- Welcome to The Truth In His Art, your source for conversations at the intersection of arts, culture, and community. I am your host, Rob Lee. Thanks for listening, sharing, and subscribing to this podcast. Be sure to check out our Patreon and leave us a review on your favorite podcast app. Five-star reviews would be great, but whatever you think uh, this podcast is worth, and uh, it helps us grow, um, get discovered, and continue this great work. Today, we are talking curation and public art with the Curation and Public Art Manager of the Baltimore Office of Promotion and the Arts. Please welcome Kirk Shannon Butts. Welcome to the podcast. Hey, Rob. Thank you for having me. Thank you Happy to be here. thank you for for making the time, being on here. And as I say, I know this is a an audio, primarily audio, um, you know, like experience, if you will, but it's always a joy to talk to
1: fellow bearded black men. <laughs> with glasses, by the way, with the glasses on, it's the full thing. Well, let me just tell you, all of this is new to me. So I've been wearing glasses for about um, two years now, and I really only need them for reading, And um, but I'm looking at the screen, so I'm reading. And the beard, I hate shaving. So um, if I'm not working or need to be fresh to death, then I, I uh, yeah, shaving is the absolute worst. I've worn glasses for
0: 35 years. Um, so there's that. And I went to the barbershop earlier to prepare for this. I was like, I can't call, talk to Kirk. I'm going to go here looking bummy. I had like a stray hair coming out of here. I was like, Yo, I'm already bought. What are we doing?
1: <laughs> well, that's why I use the term fresh to death because you're looking fresh to death and I'm, I'm looking sure. scruffy, but I, I don't, I don't care. I feel good. That's, that's, that's great. It's all,
0: always about how you feel. Right. Um. So in, in going into sort of this, the beginning of it, I like to, you know, offer up the space to to guests to, to come on. Um. You know, I can do an intro that is literally going to be the copy and paste, right? It's going to be the cut and paste from some yeah. website and something might not be the way you would describe yourself or present yourself. So, you know, I want to give you the space to introduce yourself to the listeners. And I got a sub question in there, but
1: I want to start off there. Give you that space. Okay. My name is Kirk Shannon Butts. I am a filmmaker and curator. I am currently the senior curator and public art manager at the Baltimore Office of Promotion in the Arts.
0: Thank you. That's that's wonderful. And um, it's always good to connect with BOPA, you know. <laughs> right. And filmmakers, because apparently I'm carving a little bit of a niche in that area as well of talking with different film folks. So, you know, it's okay. adds to the tool belt. Um so that's sort of sub-question that I had for you, um, I like to check in. I think, you know, artists, creative types, it's like, it's, especially when you're doing interviews, it almost feels like it's transactional. So right. I want to ask this question. What has been the sort of standout moment from the week for you? Like we're we recording this on a Thursday. So <laughs> most of the week is, you know, what's been a standout moment for you that's like caught your eye? It could be something that you know as that's happened in you know the larger news or something more local but what's something that's you know stood out for you this week well
1: uh, i started my week on monday with an artist talk with um an artist that i've been working with for for a couple of years now ernest shaw who's pretty much taken over the art scene in baltimore and i'm happy for him he's earned it and deserves it but he did an artist talk at johns Hopkins university school of visual arts the Visual Arts Department. And during his talk, he um, he's known as a muralist, even though he wants to be a painter, or or he is a painter and he's kind of wanting to move in that. But during his presentation, he spoke about um, the Sistine Chapel in the Vatican and related that to murals. And so I posed the question to him during the, uh, during the Q&A about, because I was thinking the entire time after that, like, which one came first, the mural or the fresco? And 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 is is mural? When I think of mural, I just think of very modern. But it turns out a mural is thirty thousand years old, and um, and the, the the recorded first one was in Chauvet, France, in France, and and so obviously that's way before the. You know the the Sistine Chapel in the Vatican. Um, so that was like a a real standout moment. And as a curator, you know, I do a lot of research, and I had never, you know, ex- I don't carry murals, so it was something a a, a whole bunch going on. A lot. It was a, it was a etymology. It was art history. It was uh, his, history in general. So it was really a good moment. So. That's that's dope. And it's it's great. Shout out to Ernest.
0: Uh, It's it's great to kind of capture. And, you know, I tell people and it's shameless. Like when I do these interviews, I was like, look, I'm learning from y'all to sound more interesting. Right. you know, that's why I do so many interviews. I was like, I need knowledge. (laughs) Right, right, right. So in doing the deep dive and doing the deep dive and doing some of the research um, around your background or what have you, we got a lot to cover. Um, I see this like impressive career that you had, you know, in film before transitioning into like art curation being like sort of the main like focus or one of the larger focuses, you know, of your 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 day-to-day. So, yeah. you know, talk about sort of the success in film and like how this like approach towards curation in
1: art happened. Um, so um I remember growing up, my mother had these four and i don't remember a lot of my childhood before five but i must have been you know around three years old and every day coming down the stairwell and looking over and seeing these four paintings um and um one was a um a picasso a miro a monet and a kandinsky so i grew up in the house with that type of art, you know, very modern, very abstract, um, impressionist. And um suppose that we had um, this, my mother had a sculpture of a little um, boy, a little black boy, and I And I grew up because when I started, he was like four feet. And so again, at that age, I grew up over the years and i became taller than him. So I grew up in a house with art, like, um, and, and so I think that's the foundation of it, even though you don't even know it, how it's affecting you, because like I said, I don't know. I don't remember a lot of things before five, but I know these four pieces of art, you know, because it's such a visual thing as a child. You don't you don't really have language, but you can see and understand. You probably understand color before you understand words as a child. Right. What Mm -hmm. those things mean or how they feel to you. Um, so when I went to, my undergraduate degree is in uh, marketing and arts management. So I always thought I would be managing art. I never really thought I'd be managing artists, but I thought I'd be managing, um, you know, a museum or a gallery or or some art institution. And so uh, it's a natural progression to to be in curation. And also I never thought I'd, be a filmmaker, let's, much less go to film school and 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 get a master's degree in in film and television production. So, all those things really do allow other people to see you, right? Because when I went into, I mean, I uh, the story. I've told this story many times about how I even got into fashion. I was l- l- lost on a train in New York. I was trying to get to a friend's party. And um, and so he was like, oh, just meet my friend on the first train and he'll bring you to Brooklyn. And I was like, okay. And so when I got on the train, his friend, you know, he checked me out. And um, and then he was like, in um, one of the first, I think he might've said, I like your style. And then he said... My I think my agent will like you. And I was like, what? What are you talking about? And so, you know, he we started talking and he was like, Oh, I'm a I'm a fashion designer, but you know, our agency represents uh, you know, people in the fashion industry. And I didn't know that designers had agents at that time, but I guess everyone has agents. Um and so he gave me her car his agent's card. I called her, or I think I'm yeah, called her and she was like, Oh, fax me this information and then, um, and this is still back, in fact, this was 2001. And so I faxed her um, this information in a, and she called me, I went in and she sent me to vote. And I was like, whoa, this is crazy. <laughs> Cause I mean, I didn't, I knew, I love, I I know fashion, but I knew that this was not normal, right? That, I'm in New York City with FIT and Parsons and and the Garment District. All these people want to work at Vogue, and I'm here. And and so so I took it very seriously. In fact, um, so seriously that I left after I was only at Vogue. I was there less than a month because I was like, this is not where I want to be. And I know so many people want to be here who, and, and and I mean I was still quite young at the time so I wasn't wasn't as as thoughtful as that but I knew that that's not this is not my opportunity right and I um, and I know I'm blocking someone else who really wants to be here and who really wants to do that but even though it was amazing um working in I was in the fashion department at, in the closet at vogue and so my job was to check in all the beautiful clothes that came in and again you learn from that because to me I was Every time I opened up a garment bag, it was like another piece of art, because the the these were these are samples um, that were on the runway, and you know it's Vogue, so they got the best the whatever was the best look from any fashion show they had, they would get it right, and so I knew all day long that's what I would do. I'd be opening bags, and it's like, oh my goodness, like. You know, I saw this on television because I would watch fashion television all the time. And I'm literally pulling out a Chanel dress a gown that I just saw on a runway show like two weeks ago. And here it is. And I'm touching it. And I have to protect it. Right. I was like the steward of this piece of fashion art until I went on, you know, to a shoot or whatever. And I would, you know, um, put it on the rack, make sure all the pieces were there. And then um, and I would send it back when it was done at a shoot. So, you know, so I, I, hear, I
0: hear fashion, I hear sort of like those those early, you know, moments in recognizing art um, at, at home. And you're, you're right. I think that's why I like tiger stripes, because we had like that typical like black lion newbie. And I was like, well, this is this is all right. All right. Then. Um, I don't have any of that in my home. I have, <laughs> I have classier things like, you know, pop art, I guess. But so, you know. Talk talk a bit about sort of that, that time in New York and ultimately like transitioning and coming down here to to Baltimore because there's a story there as well, like sort of in what's 2014, you know, from Harlem yeah. to Baltimore. So talk a bit about sort of that 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 journey and coming from, you know, being up there in New York and leaving New York. What what, what are you what are you doing? Sure. Like talk talk about that a bit.
1: Well, it was really tough for sure to leave um, New York. And specifically I lived in Harlem. And I consider my, myself a Holomite and um, and my my father's from Baltimore, my mother's from New Jersey, from the north, and uh, and so you know being duplicitous in 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 in, in um, living, um, I didn't know Baltimore like I know it now. So yeah. it was full of discovery because I never considered Baltimore the South until this time as an adult. You know, in the previous when I was here, it was was the north because it's a city. But this time as an adult, it's like, oh, wow, this is the south. And it is very southern when you live in New York and you come here. And the the behavior, the culture, it's very southern. But I wanted to transition from fashion and, and get into film specifically And I thought, oh, I'm going to go to Baltimore. I have family. I have a sister here. I have family here, and um, I'm going to buy a building, and I'm going to make this building my studio. (laughs) And I had this whole vision, and so um, I was coming back and forth. And then um, in 14, I was like, okay, I'm going to go there and get this building. And so, um, and Jermaine. Bell, who's married to Stephen Towns, is a good friend. I actually met Jermaine at a screening of Blueprint, which is my first feature film. I was screening it in Atlanta. I met him there, but he couldn't come. He was working for an organization in Baltimore. They were in Atlanta for the same film festival. And so he couldn't come in because he was working. And I was like, oh, the film is screening in Brooklyn. In a few weeks, you should come up. And, um, and that's how our friendship started. And wow. uh, he came up to see the film and we hung out in New York and uh, I was like, oh, I'm coming to Baltimore. And that's how our friendship started. And so I have been to um, Stephen's apartment. He lived in the CH, a creative arts building on Greenmount mm-hmm. a couple of times. And I was aware of his art. So I knew he was a a, a good artist, a, a amazing painter and what have you. So On the way home that night, they were dropping me off and he was talking about a, he had a two man show coming up at SNAP, the Kevin Brown place. And and back then it was on um, Charles Street. And um, I guess we should give some love and light to Kevin. He just lost his husband, husband Bill, who was a great person. Um, And so on the way home, he was telling me about he was just kind of lamenting about the show and i was like oh i'll do press for your show i can you know do all you know that's what i do i do marketing and artist stuff and i'm a filmmaker and all this stuff and and i just remember him saying press pr no one knows who i am and i was like that's the whole point when i'm done with you they're going to know who you are Mm -hmm. and um and that was the beginning and and jermaine was i think jermaine was uh I think he was still uh, about to or at Micah and he was studying graphics. So the two of us together, I mean, we just, we just created a machine for him, for Steven, and he could do his work and we would do all the publicity. And And um, I remember we did this one shoot and we're literally dragging him <laughs> to the set. Cause he doesn't want to, you know, he's like, I don't want to take photographs. And we're like, you're taking photographs. <laughs> and we were like, I had, found all the locations and I had all the clothes and like, all you have to do is just show up and you don't even have to smile, just show up. Right. So those were, those were the, that was the first photo shoot we did with him, And it's so ironic that those photographs people still use, like those are almost 10 years old, but because they were so natural and, and so and um, and. I mean it was very motivated and and what the goal we wanted but unmotivated in terms of like they weren't supposed to be fashion or it was we wanted to capture him and and i think those photographs still do you know because obviously you can never go back to that time you know he's quite known now but like he said no one knows who i am like no one knew who he was back then and that that was the whole point of the shoot and to capture him in a way that so people would want to know him. Yeah. Right. So um the images are are all just really um relaxed and relatable. They're not overdone. You know, I worked I came from fashion. So I, I knew how to make something <laughs> over the top if we needed to, and but I knew with him he didn't need all that. And also because he's talented. Like it's all about the talent. These this is just a little uh the photo is just a little nod to Go along with your creativity, your talent, your art, and your story. Like that's why we have people like you in podcasts now, where who that are so accessible. So people like me or um, or, or Stephen at that time can come and share their story. Because before then, you know, I came from Condé Nast. You can't you can't walk up into Condé Nast at Vogue, GQ, Glamour, where I worked um, in Architectural Digest, and get a story. It it just doesn't happen like that.
0: I mean, I have tried behind the scenes and surprisingly, I've, it's worked a few times for me of just going in there with creative ignorance, I'll call it. Like, look, I do this and y'all know who I am, but you should do it. <laughs> uh, but but I, I don't do it a lot in person. You've seen me in person. So I'm a large individual. So it's just me coming up there with that energy as the, the C-list celebrity that I am, I suppose. <laughs> Actually, it might be H less I'm down the the total pole of of <laughs> celebrity locally, but um, but yeah, and 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 going back to it for for a moment before I move into sort of, you know, sort of earlier curation and sort of more recent um, items. Um, I, I I definitely like that notion of sort of the the chance encounters. You meet someone, and then you kind of just hit it off. And I've been playing with this this idea of how do artists creatives people around and in, in that scene but are invested in those different creative scenes how do they develop friendship that's the thing that is so odd now especially when it comes to sort of the the social thing the social media thing it's well you didn't like this in this way at this time i was like yo you literally just saw me at our house <laughs> like, like like what are we doing and you know, you, you look for those things cool. because you know, you know, it wasn't always like that, right?
1: Yeah. Well, I think it it, it it's um, a cha- it's challenging, and I think again, each city and space presents different challenges because one of my very best friends now, his name is Darius, and uh, when we first met, I met him in New York. They have all these um, concerts in the park in Central Park, and my um, roommate was like, "Oh, Kirk, meet me at." 57th Street, we're going to go to the Park Tour concert, and we were meeting other people at the park, and Darius was there, in our group. It was like maybe seven of us. And I'd never met him before, but he worked at... I was working at Glamour at the time, and he was working at um, L. And so to me, it was like, oh, it's a thing. And But he was very much, I don't need to know you. And so, like... (laughs) but that's but he that's a very new york sort of thing like he didn't know who i was he didn't care you know even though we were in the park together as a, a group yeah. and um so i reached out to him a couple of times i don't know maybe i invited him to other things that were going on and then eventually i mean it took a while um and then we became friends and now we're we're really good friends but i think in baltimore i find is the the art ecosystem as they say now is much more welcoming and friendly and connected, and I feel like the art is here. Um, um, of course, there is competition, but I don't really think it's competition within the art scene. I think it might be more about finding success from it, and 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 you see other people who are, are like Stephen or or um Amani Lewis or Mirjani um, or whomever there, or Monica is a big one who's having such success and everyone's seeing it. And people are like, where's mine? And you're in and, and it's cliche, but your success will be yours. Like you don't know when it's gonna happen. And and everyone's um talent in what you're rendering and creating through art. It's different. And so how people receive it and and put it on a larger platform, it, it 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 takes time because people need to get to it. You know, I have a show with Kim Rice at um, Top of the World right now. It's an amazing show. Amazing show really is. And, you know, when I went to do the first studio visit with Kim, she <laughs> she was a very um I could tell she was a little nervous, which I didn't understand why. But I guess you, everyone's nervous when a curator comes and they want to, you know, they want to work with them or get to do a show with them. And so I just thought it was that. But and <clears throat> excuse me, towards the end of her, her um, her um, studio visit. But I guess I should say she Kim works in whiteness, what I call whiteness, and you know I'm black, and so when she was unfolding her story. I was listening because it was really fascinating to me because I think as Black people, we're, we're just like, we know white people are constantly telling our stories. I feel like we, we don't tell white people stories, but we tell Black stories mm. because we are forced to tell our stories from white people, right? Or because they're not telling our stories honestly or fully, whatever the word is. So to listen to this white woman authentically tell me about her self, and it wasn't about her being white or her having white privilege. She went on this journey into her whiteness <laughs> and her privilege, and she was willing to share that with me. And so I was—I just listened, and I was very fascinated. And you know, she talked about discovering that her mother's family had slaves, right? And then she, <laughs> and then she um, did the research on her father's side and found out the thing that they had it as well. And the only thing. From that, when we were done, I was listening. It's like, well, you know, nothing's changed. So, of course, you're if either family that you researched and had slaves, of course the other one would have had them because that was wealth. Owning Black people was wealth. So they're going to marry other wealthy people. You're not going to marry the person who does not own the plantation. You're going to own the other family down the street and merge that and create even more wealth. So, um, um, but I remember her telling me, At the very end um, about um, that journey it was basically it was like 10 years ago 10 years ago and she told me that at the time when she was presenting that to white curators they all said they would not show this work and i told her well that's why it's important to have black curators because i'm going to show this work it's important and it's authentic and it's from your point of view and often I don't want whiteness through Blackness. I want whiteness through whiteness because I want it to be authentic. I want it to be real. And I feel like that is what makes it compelling. And so now she has a show up and now she has a a ton of shows happening um, because, uh, yeah, for me, it's because I feel like it's not just me or Blackness, but I really think that Black curators, we obviously were important because we see mm. things differently. Because the the for for the last what three hundred years, museums and have been curated by white people only, yeah. <laughs> and and in in the lens to white men. So even her, she's bringing a whole new perspective on whiteness and white culture because it's through the lens of a white woman. Yeah, and and. I, I was able to,
0: um, fortunate enough to get that interview with Kim right before. Oh, okay. Yeah. And, um, no, it's, it's, it's great. And we, we had a really cool conversation and, you know, understanding how labor intensive and all of the stuff that goes into sort of that work and folks get hooked and, and, and I encounter it and, you know, just as, as far as from what I'm doing, it has to fit these different things and is through a certain
1: perspective. Meanwhile, I'm just doing what I do right yeah. <laughs> um you think you're doing what you do but it has so it has impact and in, in a greater meaning and a, definitely a greater value outside of you. you know um and i've been a proponent of podcasts for uh, for a while since they first started and and even at bopa um making making sure we include podcasting as art in an art form and and supporting um, you because obviously I worked with um, um, Jason yeah. and um, and um, and made sure you know he was seen seen as an artist and a and a businessman in a in a journalist all those things so it's important and I thank you for you know having this platform and creating this platform.
0: Well, thank you. And it's. Uh, I, I joke about it on occasion. I actually just had this conversation today that I want to get more in it, you know, that, you know, doing this podcast, doing the journalism, you know, side of things and having that approach. But I just want to get to a spot where I can show up and wear tiny glasses, big scarf and just look so <laughs> ridiculous. I just want to embrace this black weirdo thing, but be around like, hey, I know that guy. I know that
1: girl. see <laughs> you know, um I think you're on your way for sure.
0: So I, I wanna I wanna move into sort of some some, some curation related questions. Namely, um we're relatively you know a few weeks away from like Artscape right so I want to talk about that and sort of like you're you're one of the people behind the scenes I've seen you i seen you around I've seen you floating around I <laughs> I, I, w- I was trolling folks when I went up there to Bopa's office I was like yeah I saw you over there stumbling I saw you over there trying to like figure it out during Artscape it was right? everywhere all sure. at once so you know could you could you share some of like the thinking and really what your role was and sort of you know, you're feeling now with um, sort of the retrospective time removed and having that time leading up to it coming back. So share some of your thoughts on the curation around like Artscape and all of the programming around that.
1: Well, Artscape, Artscape, if it hadn't had the hiccup with um, the entire world with COVID, it would be in its 41st year. So As I looked around, I um, was um, thinking about where are the, where's the art that should have been left behind from 41 years of artscape? So um, in that, um, so for me, I was proposing things like um, creating public art, but when that art when Artscape is over it can go live in the various communities in Baltimore because Baltimore has you know working in the mayor's office curating the gallery in Baltimore City Hall I learned all about Baltimore and all of the amazing neighborhoods that Baltimore has that create Baltimore and so um, I thought okay so once Artscape is over and we've created these um, Pieces of art for this weekend fair, then they, those pieces can go to the various communities and live there. And so, I just needed wanted things to be more sustainable. But in, the, I did not take on that project. But um, I brought over the B series, which is the best of Baltimore in that year. So this year we did Artscape B twenty three and. Um, and it was on the new footprint. It was on new, North Avenue in the former ICA gallery space right between um, Maryland and Charles Street. And it was a, normally in the past, I was, you know, I spent my whole year, year looking at art and meeting artists during studio visits. So I would compose like who are the best. But this year I wanted it to be open and inclusive. And so we did a call for artists. If you thought you were the best, then apply. And, um, we had a jury, I was curator, but we had a jury. I was not one of the jurors and, um, and they selected, um, these 24 artists. Plus we had Eugene Cole, who's a local artist who did the cover for, um, the Gil Scott Heron, um, album. And so, um, for me, constantly providing opportunities for our local artists to shine and reach a larger audience and to enter the national stage and to engage collectors and museums and other curators for other opportunities is part of what I do as a curator. And so um, the show was very (laughs) successful. Uh, I didn't you know, when you're in something, you don't even fully understand what's going on. Because I was, I had, I probably was there at eight a.m. and the opening reception was at seven, from seven to nine because it was the day Artscape started. So it was a lot going on. So we had these weird hours because we had to give people space. And so at five p.m., people are knocking on the door, and so I thought, what if? What are they doing? And uh, but Artscape officially started at five, even though the, the opening reception at seven. So people were like, let me in. I want to see <laughs> the art. <laughs> but I was still setting up and tweaking things. But of course, you know, you let them in and cause people don't they don't know what you're doing. They're just walking around looking at art. And so by eight PM, it's crowded. It's packed. And that day, if you remember, it was beautiful. It's sunny and, and it was nice weather. And so it's packed inside. And I'm like, oh, my God, I'm so tired. So I was I, and and hot. And it's like, who are all these people? Um, so I go outside and I'm sitting there and someone comes up to me and they're like, oh, my God, this is the hottest spot on a strip. I've been up and I've been up and down here. Everyone's here. Everyone's talking about B23. And I was like, oh, and so ironically, I had gone to the next door, there was a, a gallery space, um, Heather Gray, I think. Mm-hmm. And I had gone in there and, you know, they had like maybe 25 people in there. So I wasn't even comparing the two because I know B, I know B23 was a whole thing. And I hadn't even heard of about the space next door. But then when I was comparing them, I was like, oh my goodness, so, okay. And then I was sitting there like counting people and we just had so many people over the course of that night, that evening, because I didn't even, I had to close the door at 11 because I was like, I have to go home. <laughs> yeah, but it ended officially at nine, but I was still there. People were still coming up like, oh, can I walk through? And I was like, okay. And okay. then at 11, I was like, I can't, no more. It's just, this is it. This is the, the people. And um, so it was, Artscape, was good for for me and good for B23 and good for our artists, but for the city of Baltimore, the energy was just Mm -hmm. through the roof. I felt like everyone was just happy to have it back. It's something that's familiar. It makes the city feel, it's something that that defines the city. And when you don't have those things um, that make you who you are, you know, you feel you you don't feel well. So I felt like artscape definitely made the city feel well. It felt healthy. People are out um, enjoying art, hmm. each other. there's music. there's uh, this year they, they we had the fashion scape or um project project run project project, project artscape. artscape and 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 after run project Runway. Um, we had teenscape we had so many different um, um um spaces for people to find themselves in so constantly expanding that to make everyone welcome and to have a space for you to specifically go to is is what happens after 40 years of doing something it should not feel the same it should not look the same and um and i do think I do think um, people need to embrace that things have to evolve, and I, I, I do find I do find way too much of that um, here with with dealing with communities that, um, you know. Again, I I can only be me. So, although I can have empathy and and see through, in ex- explore things through other entities and, and, and bodies, if you will. But I don't, going back to the past is like going back to 1800s for me. So 1800s was not a good place for me. So I don't wanna go back to the past. I need to look forward and I always need to be looking forward um, because I need to know that it can be better for me because my ancestors who were enslaved in this country, they never thought that I could be curating three, B 23, right. ever. It's like that
0: that thing when it's like, I'm my ancestor's wildest dreams. Right. It's, it's that vibe or, you know, you, have to, you don't have to even look back as, as far sometimes. Like when I, you know, my, my parents just love what I do, right? right? But they have no idea what I did. It's like, yeah, I used to be talking to people sometimes. I was like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I saw you in that big billboard, Junior, it's like, Junior, don't put that out there. I can't have people hit me up. What's up, Junior? Junior, the podcast. Right. My
1: family is very, uh, I don't think, I don't think any of, I don't think anyone in my family, maybe my nephew, because we're really close. I don't think any of my family have seen any of my films in their entirety because they just live a whole nother life. They And and it's true. Like when I remember listening to someone on some talk show and they were talking about Hollywood, you know, they're, they're in Hollywood nominated for an Oscar, but they go home and their grandmother's like, can you take the trash out? <laughs> like <laughs> that's my family they don't mind i remember <laughs> not even that long ago my sister's like asking me something crazy like that and i'm like really i'm an editor i mean in my brain i'm like i work at vogue and she's like oh can you i don't know she was like can you go to the store and get some milk and i'm like what i'm still going to the store to get milk I'm <laughs> that's it's a thing it's, it's a thing i I I remember,
0: um, you know, I, I I have always had like a data job or something behind a computer, and I, I remember I was I was dating a girl and and she was like, let me look at your hands real quick. And I was like, what does that even mean? She was like, I just want to make sure you you're a hard worker. I was like, this is a weird way to do that. I, was like, I use this, baby, and she was just like, no, nah, no, nah, you gotta you gotta have some scars or something, some calluses. And I was like, all right, then, cool. Uh, I've heard that story before. <laughs> So yeah. I, I want to move into I got I got like three, three more real questions I, I definitely want to key in on. Mm-hmm. And, and one is it's a little bit of a preface, and I think it's, it's a good spot for us to have it. Um, so like Baltimore's art culture into a larger ex- extent, the community around those uh, is gaining more and more attention. I, I think we've had sort of those moments over the last, let's say, five, six years where it's like we'll have something, we'll have that moment. And then it kind of goes back down. We have that moment, it goes back down. But it feels like with some of the attention with, you know, we have attention with sort of sports and stuff, the Orioles in the playoffs, and we've, we have the Artscape stuff um, around that, press is press. Um, what would you, from your vantage point, attribute to sort of this, you know, newfound spotlight? Or do you even see it as like newfound
1: spotlight? I think it's a... Uh... The art community finally starting to embrace Baltimore as a real art um, city. It's a real art scene because of the caliber of artists that are coming out of here, um, and also because of obviously, um, you know what I'm doing. I created the the series um, "Emerge Baltimore," and so you need people with vision to um erect and establish and promote that vision and have buy-in from the art community. you know I know people artists want to be in, in marriage Baltimore, you know so it's going into its third year next year next next um next Thursday you can come out on October 12th and see the final iteration of the 2023. Um, slate of um, artists at the Bromo Arts Tower. So, you know, when I started it and I uh, met with my director, Jackie Downs, and told her what I wanted to do at Bromo, um, you know, my goal was to make it the uh, epicenter of the Bromo Arts District. And it's still the goal, and it's slowly becoming that. We got a national endowment for the art grant last year, which is the first time ever that a our small, small organization in Baltimore um or maybe any i don't know me um got a um a grant specifically for curating and um so um, that has allowed us to really um, amplify the 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 art scene you know we did ads in national magazines and that really puts you on on, on the stage and we were able to promote the artists that are in the, the series um you know having Um, Derek Adams, who's an artist from Baltimore, who's based in New York, but is doing amazing things. He just got another $1.2 million this week from the Mellon Foundation, I think. So these things solidify Um, it. Also, um, the BMA just did an amazing exhibition that's getting uh, national attention, and it features a ton of Baltimore artists, many of which who were in the B-series, <laughs> so I'm happy for them. And and all those things, you need all those things to erect and to establish and to make a scene hot. And it's still a lot of work to be done. Last year, Will Watson was a part of the um, Emerge series, and he was in Brooklyn, so I went to do a studio visit with him before the show opened. And by chance it was doing one of the art fairs there. And so I took five or six major art collectors over to see him. Um, I thought he was in, at Governor's Grover, Island, but he was actually in Brooklyn. So, but these are collectors. They don't care wherever the art is, they're gonna go. And they were like, and I was like, oh, it's not over there. We're gonna have to go to Brooklyn. And they were like, what? Yay, we're gonna go to Brooklyn. <laughs> they, you know, they don't live in New York. They're like visiting. They want to see art. They want, they want the whole experience. So we're, it's like nine o'clock in the morning. We're going to some crazy neighborhood in Brooklyn. I don't even know where I'm going. And I know New York. Right. And so we get there and, um, and they are like, of course, they love Will. And they're looking, they're all into the art. And, and I hung out with them for the rest of the weekend there in New York. But what was so interesting is that all of them, all of them, these are major art collectors from New York, London, um, Chicago, um, California, um, the Carolinas, major. All of them have, in their collection, Baltimore artists, none of them have been to Baltimore. So that's the part where we have to change because until those people, collectors, are here and and talking. Oh, I was in Baltimore and met these artists, and, and uh, then that'll be the next step, you know. And so, I think we're all working on that because it's important to have um, artists um, in these private collections. Of course, everyone wants to be a museum, but um, you want benefactors, if you will, who will pay the you know pay for your art and pay the price of your art and 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 other their friends who are equally wealthy or or have that that um disposable income to to buy your art and support your art so yeah and you know it's funny
0: I, i was in um I was actually in what, Manhattan like in May and I saw Will there and he's like, yo, Rob. but I was like, what's up, man? He's like, you up here? I was like, you know, I'm, just, I'm in the journalist thing a little bit. And I, I saw a few people and you know, that I've known in, in doing this and like last year I worked, it was a future fair. Last year I I, I worked with the folks in this, this past year, I interviewed the founders and he was like, Oh, you're VIP. Come on up. Here's your swag bag. And I was yeah. like, all right, I kind of like this. And <laughs> And it was the first time I've actually, in terms of the trajectory, low level stuff, but I was able to to stay and travel multiple times this year with this sort of evangelical, I'm about Baltimore arts and culture okay. and going into other cities wearing that flag. And, you know, when I do that, from my small little slice of C minus celebrity, uh, I always have folks come up here, you okay. know. When I get invited to do panels in D.C. or I get invited to do, um, you know, fe- movie, fe- you know, festival uh, chatter and conversations of panels, I say, yo, come down, come down right. to Station North. Come down and check out some of the art districts right. and see this. Um, there was a film that was being uh, done, I think, last year. Um, and uh, the filmmakers wanted to cover the experience in COVID, but through the lens of like the different artists. Wow. I took them to the different art districts. I I was doing that sort of stuff and I find like that's just a natural thing for me. I don't don't, I'm not like a a salesperson or anything in that vein. I have a little marketing experience, but, you know, I like being able to show folks and have them come here. That's the purpose of the whole thing. I think folks don't get it. They talk a lot about it, but don't give. it. Haven't been there. And I'm like, come check it out. Buy, enjoy, be a part of it in that way.
1: But come and check it out to see what it is for yourself. I agree. And I, one of the things that kept coming up during um, the opening reception to B23 is people are like, this is the new Baltimore. This is like Miami. No, they kept, they kept, no, they kept saying, this is like Miami. This has, this has the New York feel and all that. And I was like, no, this is, this is the new Baltimore. So I had to keep saying that because that's what happens to Baltimore. As you early mentioned earlier about how it kind of slips off. It slips off because Bal- Baltimore, Baltimore, people, Baltimoreans, if people are here, allow it to. No, you have to embrace the energy that Baltimore has, and it has its own culture. It has its own energy. And so this right now is the new Baltimore. So it don't call it Miami. It's not New York. It's it's new Baltimore. And that is something that would be enticing to anyone to come to Baltimore because it's new. It's not. It's not Philly. It's not Miami. It's not New York. It's not DC. It's new Baltimore, and I and I and I embrace the new part because Baltimore has such a, uh, um, what um <laughs> a challenging um, image because people only think of it in certain things, usually uh, related to crime and and things like that, but. It has this really vibrant and very astute art scene. I mean, people in the art scene in Baltimore are very—you know—they're educated. We have MICA, the Maryland Institute College of Art. It's one of the best art schools on the planet. It's right here in off of North Avenue, right. so um, it's 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 in it's in the city. Uh, I'll say that. So. Um, we have to embrace that in that new baltimore to um counterbalance we don't have to erase all that that because cities have that and until all cities can um erase um you know blithe and poverty we have to at least have another thing that balance it and art is such an easy, accessible and digestible and fun cultural, um educating, it's it's it does everything, art, you know, if you allow it, if you allow it to, and if and if you fund it. I mean, obviously the arts have historically been underfunded. And so um if 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 you can get the funding, like I said, we got an NEA grant. So we're uh, Bopa we're doing we're writing grants and but we have that capacity a lot of even um artists who have their own art studios want to you know get grants but writing a grant is a lot of work and 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 artists are artists like not our artists have that skill or gift or capacity to write a grant writing a grant is a lot even at bopa you know that was another thing when i started there is like can we make the process I don't even know what the word is, easy or simple, because they think it is simple and easy, but um, but they really do need to be um, manageable for artists to apply. You know, just like you, for oh, particularly for um, free fall, because it's just free fall. Baltimore is 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 such a wonderful way for an artist to write up something and get to share. Yeah, You can, you, you know, you could write up a, a proposal f- just to open up your studio and we'll fund that for you, you know, so people can come into your studio and see, like you, how do you do a podcast? Like, how do you, I mean, people, and I think even artists won't think about this, but people, people don't know how to make a painting. You think you are, you assume they do, but mm-hmm. they don't. And if you have a if you if the if you're if your free fall thing was that simple, how to make a painting, but it's like Ernest Shaw teaching it, trust and believe, there are going to be a thousand people trying to get into that that class, yeah. right?
0: Mm-hmm. And, and well, well, one thing before I move into this last question I got for you, one thing I definitely want to touch on as it relates to sort of the the, the new Baltimore thing and going back to one of the things you touched on earlier, sort of people having this this apprehension against new new things that I have. You. And it's like, well, it has to be somewhere in, in that that's that's a mix of it, I think, in moving things along. Some of the DMs I get when I'm, you know, doing interviews in other cities, why are you doing that? I thought it was only Baltimore. It's like, I never said what it was. I was like, you know, I'm I'm here. This is my base and this is the the sort of like focus of it, but I'm independent. I can go wherever I want. And whatever, you know, sort of drives the curiosity. But on the other side of it, I think it's really interesting. Um, I, I think folks very publicly in sort of major things, I'm gonna reference the Orioles yet again, um, you know, sort of the City Connect jerseys and that sort of uh, branding around that, you know, I heard club music at the ballpark. I've never heard club music there. And I'm like, "Oh, or on Friday nights, we're doing these yeah. um, these jerseys that have like the glow printing, all of these art references." And, you know, to toot my own horn, a lot of the folks that were involved from the music scene or even the sort of artwork around the stadium, I've interviewed, you right. know, been on here. So, it's saying something maybe about the the taste and the the curation that goes into this. At, at times, and kind of being ahead of that that curve, but seeing on national telecast for uh, a sports team, I think that serves as an export for folks to be aware of what happens in a place They, they may not know what happens here as much as what's happening in the streets and in the community, but you see Baltimore, it doesn't hurt to have a team that's you know bringing some awareness and maybe some traffic here from tourism, and being able to go there to the stadium and see like who's the artist that did that? Who's yeah. this position? Yeah. I would imagine that has has some benefit.
1: Yeah. Well, you, I was, I was speaking about Jason, who does local color, who I work with, and um, I was a, this was early on when I first met him, and you know, trying to help him out with what he was doing, and uh, and he was um, talking about viewership and listening and winning. And many more listeners and all that sort of stuff. I was at a dinner party, maybe, I think that night, ironically, that we met that Saturday. And that night I was going to a dinner party in Guilford. And it was maybe 10 guests there. And somehow it came up. And I want to say at least seven, but probably eight of the 10 people at the table, dinner table, they all listened to his podcast. And I was telling him, you know, when I met with him or the next day I texted him, it was like, I was at this dinner party in Guilford, you know, one of the most desirable neighborhoods in all of Baltimore City at a dinner party. And these people who all listen to your podcast regularly. So you don't know who's listening. You don't know what influence they have. Um, And that's why it's important for you and him and other podcasters out there in Baltimore, specifically to do what you do, because you are amplifying. All of it, whether, you know, when I listened, when I was listening to yours, I like. Ironically, I like listening, listening to the, the, you think I want to listen to the artists, but I like listening to the politicians because I want to hear what they really have to say. And I feel like when they interview with you and other podcasters, they're 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 less, um, um, what's the word? Like, um, Still a little less started. they're less staged, they 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 feel more comfortable, you know, um, they talk in a way that's as relatable, I feel like as a politician can be. And so listening to them in these spaces is, is good. And particularly when we're in a, a, a election year, and particularly when we know we have so many politicians that are, part of the problem because if you're a politician who wants to ban abortion and ban books and 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 not learn about other all of the histories that create America, then you're a problem. So um being able to listen to people address that as a politician is amazing because me um just said what saying what I just said it's totally different. I'm a curator and 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 I do of course, address societal issues through the artists that we select in their personal narrative because art is generally being evoked in artists through poli- through the society and the culture and the yeah. policies that are going on. So again, um, you know, some like Kim's show is all about gentrification, redlining, and and all that is very political. Yeah. You know, so you could go up to top of the world and see it and walk through this beautiful exhibition and learn so much.
0: So I want to I want to throw this this last question to you. And, um, you know, just with the, and I know we all have our, our, our ways, right. Our, our secret sauce, our spice, our own methods, right. So curators, editors, presenters, I, I guess we right. all have our way of doing things for for you at where you're at in, in your career as a, a curator, a black curator, curator in Baltimore, I'm getting all the superlatives, right. What is one aspect that you wish more of the folks or the types of folks you would work with like new or or use from a standpoint of being a curator like how do you want folks to like like present themselves and, and try to, try to sort of work with you of like hey i want to pitch some work to you or sort of what that process looks like what's that one i guess tip if you will that you would want to impart to like artists that are like hey i got some work i think you should see it they they shouldn't say it like that, obviously. But what's the that one piece of advice you would throw
1: out there? I think uh, for me, I like it exactly what you just said. What you you said you shouldn't say it like that, but I like it like that because I feel like most people and artists are are masking, right? So when I I know how. My film background and, and fashion background serves me very well because I, I've cast people. So I I write characters so I know how to create a human being. So psychologically, when, um, when someone is bold, I'm more curious about why are they bold? So are you bold because their art's good? Are you bold because it's not good and you think you can get on because... You're, you're assertive in, uh, and 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 think that that's something because I think that's what we learn as Americans, right? And what I find is that the most talented people that I've worked with are usually the most quiet. Like Stephen Towns, he would have never asked me to. <laughs> Help him do anything, and I was I was around him. You know, I've been in his apartment many times, and 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 I actually asked, told him that, oh, I will do that for you, yeah. you know. And I feel like most of the artists, um I like that. Even um a good case is Amani Lewis, who is very bold. And and I don't know if you, have you interviewed Armani? Chance yet? Have had the chance? Yet. Like Armani is Armani is great. So. When I went to her studio, and she was very—I wouldn't say passive, but she was not that bold like I was used to. Because now I was, I guess, in her sanctuary, in her safe space. Like she was very uh, methodical, very thoughtful, very um, um, kind, and not that she's unkind, but you that's, you. You just think of her as this energy, ball of energy. And she was like very quiet. And it was like, okay, I like this. And the art was amazing. And like, she is the only artist with space I've gone to. And I was like, can I have a seat? Because it was so amazing that I was like, I need to be able to take all of this in. I mean, it was so amazing. And even when we opened up the door, she was at Whitehall, there was art on the walls. And I was, I was trying. As a, you know, I'm always making sure I get all my attention to the artist. I'm there to see. So I'm like, look, I'm paying attention to her. But this one eye is like roaming at the art on the wall. And then we, you know, we walk through and turn and and. And she's like, oh, yeah, that's my art on the outside. And I was like, oh, thank God. And that's <laughs> not like, that's when I literally I said, can I have a chair? <laughs> because I was like so into this art on the outside that I walked by, but I didn't want to be rude or anything to her. <laughs> and then from there, it was like, she's a, in my head. You know, they're telling me their story because it's a studio visit, but in my head, I'm already like when can I put her on the schedule and (laughs) what will the show look like and (laughs) what will we call the show? I'm already curating the show, right, at that moment. And generally, um, artists just need to be, be your authentic self and don't feel like you need to pitch because all you need to do is set an appointment. Schedule most curators, even at the BMA, will uh, eventually get to you if you like email them, say, hey, can you do a studio visit? Because, I mean, we did it for Steven. They eventually came. They were like, oh, okay, we'll come here. And they kept keep changing it because it's the BMA. They're busy. Mm-hmm. But they did come to the show. The second show was at um, Gallery C.A., and they came to that that was co Patriot that really blew Steven up that was a, a, a solo show at Gallery CA and that really blew him up and um, it was very thoughtful very calculated everything about that show was calculated in terms of what to fulfill his goal you know he wanted to be you know on a national level and so that's what Jermaine and I set out to put him on a national level I mean we knew that the art I knew because I've been to galleries all over the world, and um, I knew that he had the gift and the talent to do that. So it was all about making sure we put together a show that the public would respond to, and particularly collectors, museum curators, gallery, you know, because we wanted him to get everything. We wanted him to get gallery representation. We wanted him to get a show at the Baltimore Museum of Art at that time. That was who we were doing, and we wanted collectors. All of that happened from that show. Oh yeah. He, he has the. He's represented by a New York gallery now. He had a solo show at the BMA. He's in many, many um, museums and art, private art collections. So everything happened. So it can happen right here in Baltimore. It's that strong and that important. And we, as the ecosystem, and you, because I mean, you can't do anything without publicity, <laughs> and the press, and the media, and it all has to come together. And I think another thing about artists in answering your question is that don't let let the press come to you let them discover you Mm. don't don't advocate for yourself and your practice and your creativity but don't let that be the only thing particularly when you're meeting a a curator because it it can be a turnoff. it isn't for me because i understand the struggle Because when I started 10 years ago, curating less than Rob, I don't know if you even know this, less than 2% of curators in the art world were African-American, less than two. Today, it's around 5%. But you also have to take into account over the last 10 years, we've had the National Museum of African-American Art and Culture open, the museum in, I think is in Alabama. Um, There's been probably 10 major Black our institutions. So if you take those out, it's still probably two. Right. That It's, it's a, it's
0: a really, you know, small number. And you, you mentioned it like, you know, sort of you, you see five, you know, now, right. And right. It, could, it could be between, be, between two and five, that's still right. 90 plus 95 plus. That's not that. Yeah. And, you know, I, I remember, you know, having this, this, this conversation a couple of years ago, actually sitting down, um, of getting the 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 preview if you will of um the, the bright exhibit uh with thomas with thomas james yeah. and you know i'm looking at it i'm seeing people i'm like i'm interviewing them i'm interviewing them I'm, I'm I'm looking at it from that standpoint and several of those folks have been fortunate to interview and some i am fortunate enough to call friends right and you know it's really cool but you know it is sort of that representation conversation that always has to happen and always has to be checked in. And, you know, uh, I'll leave, um, on, on this, this sort of, the sort of thing here where when it goes back to one of the things you said about the grant writing component or just generally navigating, it's just like, sometimes that's just not a rule book. So your, your point about coming as your authentic self and just, just doing that's the only thing you really know. Like I, you know, as a person that used to send the representative and, and try to be a thing and then feeling like this doesn't feel good actually makes me feel physically ill right i'd rather just be me with all of my weird fumbles and that's even how i go about editing these interviews i try to keep them as close to what the conversation was then let me cut that out that sounds stupid here's the hot takes i don't want any of that i want the authenticity i want the thing that feels real Right. that's the thing that we're we're all looking for we're all seeking and i think with some of the gems that you've dropped in this conversation with your experience and sort of the work that you're doing here in baltimore i think it's going to definitely click
1: and hit for some folks and i think that that's a really good thing right well i feel like baltimore is full of original thinkers and i think they get again because i think baltimore is full of so much talent that people get off track because they try to get on a track someone else's track stay on your track do it you're you're doing in in um in 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 set a path for you and your your vision your art and um as simple as like (laughs) a vision board but stay on it you have to have something that's that won't get you off track because I feel like that is what happens. And also, you know, you might even get a, um, some sort of commission that, that may feel big. And I had this recently happen with an artist that I was working with. And, um, (laughs) and the, the person was like, the number, the number was too small for me for the, and it was, I was, I didn't, I wasn't getting any of the number. But I was like, I know what I'm at a point now where I'm I'm I'm, I'm I know what the numbers are and what what these people are getting and this person should be getting that number too. You know, you talk about uh, what is that e- um, equality and equity and all that stuff, but very few people are really living that. I'm implementing that for all of the artists I work for. And this one particularly has earned it. So, um, and also, I think maybe my background in New York. I'm like, I, rem- I was, we were actually on the call. I put it on hold and I was like, that is not going to work. He need that. He, this is his number. And it was so funny because I was completely talking for the artist. <laughs> and I was like, <laughs> th- this is his number. <laughs> and, and, and you know, we went back and they told them the number. And, of course, they were like, and it was an organization out, out of New York that reached out to me to want an artist. They wanted to do this project. And so so I knew the type of money they had. So it's like, in this case, we need full money. It would be different if it was a community-based organization and, and the artist was like, oh, I'm, I live in Jordan Heights. I want to do it. Yeah, do it. But no, this is an, a business out of New York looking for someone specifically here. Then they have to pay. Yeah, that's, that's just how it works. I mean, that, that's that's just business, just good business. <laughs> I'm not even in take, trying to take advantage of anyone or, um you, you know, when people say know your value, I'm knowing the artist's value. And that's what I do. Also, I try to cr- give Artists here in Baltimore agency before they get agency, so they know how to operate when you're dealing with a gallery. You know, you can still negotiate even with the gallery. Like if you don't like the numbers or whatever, don't sign those contracts. Say I need what I need.
0: That's that that sort of side of it, and you know, as you know, and I I really love that you know you advocate for for podcasters being in that art conversation, being in that journalism conversation because. Some of the behind the scenes things, like people don't have any context. Like there's a really prominent podcaster who charges $85,000 for interviews. And then I got folks hitting me up for honorariums that are misrepresenting who they are. And it, it's sort of that. I was like, you're an associate curator, not a senior curator. I'm reading your bio currently. I was like, I'm going to do my research. Uh, but that's neither here nor there. And a story for a different time. Um, right. But I, I want to dive into these these rapid fire questions for you real quick as we we close out here. And this is this has been a treat. Um, so I got four of them. And as I tell everyone, don't overthink these, don't right. think these. It's like I said what I said. All right? <laughs> so, you know, I know this this this, this first one's going to be, I think, a little challenging, but we'll see. What is your first love creatively? Is it curating? Is it fashion? Is it
1: filmmaking? What is your first love in that, in that sort of space? I think my first love will go back to painting and not me as a painter but looking at painting. Even when I was in film school when (laughs) all of my professors in film school knew when uh, they would say over the weekend, go look go watch the new film that's coming out and when we would go to LA to look at the film, I would go to the museum because I wasn't interested in the new film. So I would go look to the museum and i would be looking at painting because i learned through the theory class that uh the it should be composed like a painting or for, for photograph so that's what i would do i would spend my time going to look at uh, paintings that were well composed and that's how i approach my film every scene i would compose this painting and then the painting would come to life if you want if you see blueprint you know people even people who didn't know that when I was on the film festival circuit, they would ask, like, they would address that, like, oh, everything looks like it's so well composed. And it's like, well, it is. <laughs> yeah. So this, this
0: is the next one I got for you, because uh, I'm, I'm always curious about some of the habits that creative folks have. So I've been on this, this diet thing that's been a very interesting odyssey. Um, I I do the meal prep thing. So when someone asks like, so what do you like to eat? I was like the same sludge I eat every day at this point (laughs) for you, you know, not in a sludge sense, but for you, what is that sort of go-to meal for you? Like, you, you, you know, are you, is it something you're cooking? Is it a a sort of takeout thing? Like, what is that go-to meal that you're like, I need to eat something
1: and this always hits. So what is that for you? Okay. It's going to be the most random thing and, and you probably are not going to believe it, but it's oatmeal. Really? I eat oatmeal almost every single day. Every day, probably for the last 20 years. Is it a particular, like, you know, your apple cinnamon? What we got? Oh my God. So I was, I was telling you when I moved to Baltimore, I was living with my sister. She would buy all those, you know, packages. Yeah. I like it straight from the box with the blue, red, white, blue, thing, <laughs> regular. And I, I like, um, I I would have, like, because um, sometimes I'll just go and I'll pick it up. And if it's not quick oatmeal, I don't like it. And I just like simple um, Quaker oats. Like, I, won't, I don't eat the old, like, old-fashioned because that is too much. But just, yeah.
0: It's regular oatmeal, just straight yeah.
1: from the source. It makes me feel... Good, and I feel like it makes me feel. It's sort of probably something to do again with my childhood. Maybe my mother. I feel like my mother made cream of wheat, but I really liked when I think I'm. I think I was the only child who liked oatmeal, so she didn't make it that often. So because no one liked it except me. Uh, You you mentioned cream of wheat. I might mix cream wheat tomorrow. Though I mean, I love
0: love wheat. (laughs) That's the thing that comes from my dad. He's like, yo, so. Put some applesauce and your cream of wheat.
1: What are we doing? Let's do it. I've heard of that.
0: <laughs> um, so, 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 um, Baltimore, New York. Between those those two, what are your sort of like favorite places to like unwind to make? Whether it's taking a movie, whether it's just to enjoy a park or something like that. So, what is that place in Baltimore? What is
1: that place in New York? Oh my God, my. Whoa Mount um Lake Montebello and that's where my sister lives in that neighborhood. That was my oh my goodness. I've probably spent an enormous amount of time at Lake Montebello. It was just so beautiful. I mean, when I first came, I would ride my I don't know why I thought that it was a three quarters of a mile around. So I would ride my bike around the lake like 10 times or something crazy until I realized it's actually a mile, 1.3 miles. So I was doing like 15 miles, right. like five times a day. I mean, we, and then I think it was Jermaine. He was like, no, it's, what are you talking about? It's 1.3 miles. it was twice like, that. <laughs> right. So, but I love like Montebello and um, what else in Baltimore? Um, oh, the Charles theater, of course, like art house theater. Uh, Movies and, um, and, and yeah. And, um, maybe a third place I don't think people really know, but there is a sculpture garden at the Baltimore Museum of Art right on the side there. And it's quite small and, um, and it has a really nice feel because it's like slanted and crazy. It's not flat. So it's a really, it's really nice and it's outdoors. I like outdoors. New York wow <laughs> Harlem I just like being in Harlem Harlem is everything for me and when I'm there I just feel alive I feel safe I feel I feel um the Harlem renaissance is still alive um it's just it has it's magical I, I really you know, metaphorically, not mat- mat- magical, and it's magical because I feel like if you're there, in in particularly if you're a creative, you know this history, and you're walking in it every day. You know, I lived on One Thirty Seventh Street. the The block over is where the literati was. That's where. Nor, Nor, um, Neil Hurston and, and Langston Hughes and all those people live a block o- over from where I live, right? And and on the other side is Drivers, where all the rich black people live. <laughs> I live right in between there, right? So, um, as a, again, as a creative, you feel that when you're there, you know that these amazing books, these painters, these authors, these journalists were there creating the only cultural Renaissance America has ever had it happened there like you can never create that again and and it's all documented and and the Schomburg is right around the corner and um yeah it's it's amazing and of course Central Park which which was also a black place too now that we know Seneca <laughs> Village um Central Park um is just special obviously you know um it's it's um, you know, you walk across the park and one side you're at the Fifth Avenue where the museums are when you're in the park there's the lake and 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 sheep's meadow and then on the other side you're on the upper west side or the west side. And I mean, I think a lot of people don't even know that the end, at the end of the park or the tip of the park is in Harlem. It's one ten one one ten and there's um there's a um, a pool there and an ice rink and um, you know there's still things to know about Harlem that I think people who don't live in Harlem, they or or New York they don't know. But um, Central Park is the tip of it. It's in Harlem. So you, you, you got me
0: like now making this trip to to Harlem. <laughs> like, I, I, I've been to Manhattan, I've been to Brooklyn, I've been to Queens. So it's like I got I got to hit up Harlem. What? you, Rob, you've never <laughs> been down One Twenty Fifth Street. Ah, oh, no. You, I mean, I'm scared to get on the train. Let's let's be, you know, let's, let's start
1: there. No, no. The I'm train, a six foot
0: four, three hundred pound black man that's afraid to go on the train. I
1: mean, <laughs> you have nothing to be afraid of. I mean, the train is is a wonderful experience. Uh, it, yeah. I mean, it doesn't get any more New York than the train, and and I can't even tell you how many um, celebrities. Famous people, rich people that you'll see on the train, like everyone. Right, the train is just easy. Everyone gets on the train. Even when I worked in fashion, it was so funny. Sometimes, like our um, our fashion director would be like, because you know we could have we had car service at all times, but at certain times of the day, you're like, even the um, fashion director, would like we're about to get on the train, Kirk, because it's like. I'm not waiting an hour to go five, you know, 10 blocks. Literally, it would take an hour to go 10 blocks. When you could jump on the train and we were in Times Square, we could get anywhere in 10 minutes on the train.
0: That's the thing. Like, when I was last up there, I was seeing my, my curator friend out there. She was like, we're going to meet up here. I was like, I'm going to Uber over there. She's like, you sure about that, bro? I was like, yeah, I am. I, I don't care. And we we get there and she's like waiting with me for the next Uber. She's like, she, "She's uh, she's Dominican. She's like, Yo, Poppy, you got to you got to start taking a train, bro. It's not uh, yo Poppy. <laughs> that's literally what you hit me with. Um so let me let me ask you this last question before we wrap up here. Um so you know, I, 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 again, I I like to, you know, have that knowledge and drop that knowledge. Um, This is something I've been reading. It's a book called Failed It, um, the Eric Kessels joint. And it's just like mistakes you can learn from like ideas when you've like botched it, and you failed it. This is a book that I'm currently reading. So what I'll ask you is, what is the last book or book that you're currently reading? What's the last book you finished or a book that you're currently reading?
1: Well, I'm currently reading this amazing book. Nice called Bakoko, and it is the biography of Mohamed Gardo, and it is the only known biography, but it's an autobiography because he left a diary from an enslaved African in Brazil. So if you, if and people don't, again, why we really need not to ban books in America, but, for most people, most people don't know that most slaves ended up in Brazil. And, and today, Brazil has the largest African po- Black population outside of Africa, right? And so for this to be the only <laughs> says so much, right? And so, and I just discovered it last year and I finally bought it this year and I've, I'm almost done with it. I'm savoring it because I don't want it to end because he... His story, the story of black people, and in the story of um, of wanting to be free, in 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 as creative, wanting to be able to pursue your creativity, he left. He was enslaved in in Brazil. Brazil, the, his Brazilian slave master took him to New York. He escaped in New York went to college, moved to England, lived in Canada for a little bit, and then wrote this wrote his he kept his diary because he could he could speak english and and Portuguese. and I think he spoke some other language, but maybe you know, his own language from Africa. and um uh, but he wrote this this diary because he was traveling, so he was keeping these notes. But he did all that by age. I think in the in the end, he's around forty, I think. And then they lose track of him, so they don't know if he went back to Africa or what. So it is a fascinating story about you know resilience and 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 the quest for freedom and 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 this is obviously in eighteen hundreds, but it it still applies today. How you have to go for whatever it is that you want, right? And in um, you know, the context here is like obviously slavery and freedom, but it's the same. Like I said earlier, nothing's changed. Mm. You have to go set set goals and and go for them. Because he, I'm sure most enslaved people wanted freedom and it was probably so slow um fun. To them, how do you get it when I'm shackled and on this place and out of out of this my my own country or my tribe, my village? It was probably so big, larger than they could even imagine. But this guy got it and and got it in a big way. And we don't even know who he is, but his story is so amazing. And even it's interesting talking to you right now about it. I'm a filmmaker, and I don't even think of it in terms of a film. Because I think the writing is so important. People should just read it. And in your head, let it come to life. I don't need this to be on the big screen. But if it were, I would would would, would like to see it. But I normally when I read something, I'm like, oh, I could make this a film. I could see it as a film. But I feel like the text, because he wrote this so so um, deliberately, yeah. you should read it as he wrote it. Absolutely. And receive it as he wrote it. He did not make a film. He yeah. wrote a book. He wrote a diary. And we should be reading it. We don't need the adaptation. We need the, we need. Right.
0: The, uh,
1: we definitely um, don't need Hollywood. <laughs> Hollywood.
0: Yeah, they're, they're not the right hands. It goes back to the, uh, the, cur- the cur- curator, uh, conversation, curator conversation we were having earlier about like, so black curators, right? Yeah. <laughs> the filmmaker thing is a whole nother conversation, a whole nother can of worms we could dive into. Yes. But, um, I, I think that's a good spot for us to wrap and what I would like to do in these final moments is one, thank you for making the time to be on this podcast. It's been wonderful. And um, two, I want to invite and encourage you to share with the listeners where they can check you out, follow you, social media, website, all of that good stuff.
1: The floor is yours. Well, same to you. Thank you for one, creating this platform and, and allowing me to be here today and, and share with you finally. Um, um, well, you can follow, you can find me um, at flickerea.com um, and also on Instagram at uh, flickerea underscore Kirk. And um, you can come check out our curation at the Bromo Arts Tower. We have an opening reception next Thursday, October 12th, 6 to 8. Um, three amazing artists, James Alpha, Massaqua Jr., um, painter. We have Philip Morrell, who is a photographer, and he currently has the new cover of The Beat, the, the cover, the new one that just dropped, that is his photography on the cover, and we have um, Laurel Stewart, who's, a, um, this is her first solo show, and she's really talented, and she's creating her own pigments that she works with, so um, that's why I was really drawn with her when when uh, I did that studio visit and it's uh, like, oh, she's real organic. She's on everything. Next, she'll be creating probably the materials that she's actually putting her pigments on, which is the future of art. Right. Um, and so, yeah, and and can go up to the top of the world and see the Kim Rice show. It's our last exhibition for the year. And um, yeah, thank you. And there you have it, folks. I want to, again, thank Kirk
0: Shannon Butts for coming onto the podcast and sharing a bit about his work, views on curation and much, much more. And um, I'm Rob Lee saying that there's art, culture and community in and around Baltimore. You've just got to look for it.